0: You're listening to Skullcrack, Ireland's first and foremost Magic the Gathering podcast. I'm your host, David Wolfe, and I'm joined here by... Ciarán and Alan. Alright, lads, how's it going?
1: Hey, what's up? Uh, back from... A big break for me from podcasting of one day, because Al and I recorded yesterday, but I messed up the recording, so now we're recording again. But it's good, because now we have the three musketeers all all back together, so it's going to be way better than what would have happened if I didn't screw up.
0: All right, well... (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) it's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it.
1: It's good.
2: It is very disheartening, because the podcast was very good, the one that wasn't recorded. So I guess it wasn't a podcast, it. The, the hour-long conversation me and Kieran had about magic uh, was very, very good. Um, it's a shame it's now lost, lost to the adals of history.
1: Well, we could release it as a, as a, if we ever set up a Patreon, we could release it as a bonus episode, because you could just hear me talking, because I somehow failed to capture Al's audio. So you can just hear me monologue and talk to myself about uh, about Modern for an hour, and uh, I hear the ghostly voice of Al just barely audible in the background in some parts. <sighs>
0: Oh.
2: oh yeah! I, I was, when we first realized it happened, I was thinking maybe I could just take that audio and just uh, record it myself, me filling in the gaps. That would uh, be amazing. Uh, that would be incredible if you could do that. We <laughs> so hard to put off to. Yeah, you'd be like
1: trying to speak really quickly in between the gaps of me talking and stuff.
2: <sighs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That's probably oh, well, probably never to be heard by the public. But uh, and that might have been, you know, the advice that won you guys the the Mythic Championship. So I don't know. Uh-huh. So what what could have been? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we'll try to repeat the main points on, on this one. And we'll see. Yeah.
1: yeah, we've just gone down a different timeline, you know?
0: Yeah. I, I was uh, I was sad because this was going to be the... Or it was going to be the first one that I ever missed. But now now I don't have to miss it. So that's good.
1: Yeah, again, that's that was why I did it. I sabotaged the episode. So uh, your <laughs> streak would continue.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, we'll see if something comes of that in the future. But seeing as... We don't have that. We'll just have to crack on with what we do have, which is plenty of talk about modern. And have a, a fairly big focus on modern today because you guys had some modern tournaments over the weekend. And then we'll talk a little bit about standard as well, how it's evolving. We do have the Arena Mythic Qualifier... Mythic Championship Qualifier Week? I never know how to call that thing. But anyway, it's next weekend, so uh, we probably should talk about What's, what's what we think is good to play at the moment in standard. So mm-hmm. let's yeah, sounds good. kick it off with modern. Uh, Hogak continues to be the scourge of the format, and there's going to be no emergency ban. We've had direct confirmation from Aaron Forsyth about that through Twitter. Uh, it was five of the top eight in GP, I want to say Minneapolis. Yeah, Minigakalus. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear
1: God. <laughs> Theorism, Necrop lappiest.
2: oh okay, okay i can't
0: make that would work that's much better all right nice we got there yeah so yeah hogak hogak is modern modern is hogak the the two cannot exist apart but they also cannot exist together it's a paradox what's going on uh you guys played some modern at the weekend so tell me all about it i have no no context for modern
1: well, we were basically in some kind of alternate universe where nobody showed up with Hogak. There was one Hogak player in the in the room who didn't do well, and there was one Dredge player, uh, Joe Cullinan, who I think may have had a Hogak in his deck, like a Singleton Hogak. I didn't actually see it, but uh, he was he was hinting that he might have registered one, I don't know. So yeah, it was, it was just not present there uh, for the entire weekend, which meant that as I was playing Eldrazi Tron with the wishboard in the side, uh, as, spoiler, Al was also playing Tron with a the, with the wishboard in the side, my only actual sideboard cards I could bring in were four Leyline of the Void for Hogak, and two spatial contortions, which meant that the only two cards I sideboarded the entire tournament were the two spatial contortions. I never brought in the ley lines, and I never sideboarded in any of the wish cards. So I basically just didn't have a sideboard for the entire tournament.
0: Well, that seems counterproductive.
1: Yeah, because you just assume, like, oh yeah, Hogak's the only thing you really need to worry about, but it just didn't show up. Uh, I I don't know why. Maybe not that many Irish people have the cards. Like, people didn't want to... To buy into it after or before the ban, and still have an after the ban. I'm not really sure, but it just it yeah, it just it just wasn't there. There was a lot of Jund. I think Jund was maybe the most popular deck.
2: Yeah, a lot, of, yeah, a lot of Jund, a lot of burn. Yeah, a lot of yeah, red decks, but um, not 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 much Hogak. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of a lot of was get yeah, card availability, and yeah, people don't want to buy into a deck that surely has to be banned. It is one fortunate for us because he did not have to play against it.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't have been able to get the cards for it. Like I have, I have Hogak's and. I had bought Bridge from Below's as well, um, but I don't have a lot of the other cards, and it was just too many cards for me to try and get together for the weekend, so so that's why I didn't play it. Uh, and I thought Eldrazi Tron was, was quite well positioned uh, against the field in general, if not against Hogak. so that, that's why I decided to play that. And I think I think that was true. I think I was pretty happy with Eldrazi Tron as my choice for the tournament. Yeah, I
2: like my good choice, definitely.
0: Do you guys think that there may have been some... Like what? What do you think might have been the reason for for so such such a poor showing for for not that's the wrong way to put it, I guess. Uh, so few players playing Hogak at that tournament. Like how many players were in the tournament?
1: Thirty-one, I believe, something like that.
0: I'm mm-hmm. just to clarify, this is the this is one of the qualifier tournaments for the European Modern Championship Series, whatever it's called. Uh, so like there there is there there are stakes to these tournaments.
1: Yeah, it was basically a PBTQ and uh, the War Chest, uh, which is the game store uh, in Dublin that it was held in, is always actually very generous with their Swiss prize payouts. So there were two Modern Horizons packs in the prize pool per player for a €15 entry fee. So that was actually very good EV just by itself um, in terms of entering the tournament. So, yeah, people were definitely taking it seriously. I, I think a lot of people, I don't know, like a lot of people just have their modern deck, right, and that's what they play and or maybe they have two modern decks and that's what they play um like i don't know like joe who showed up with dredge presumably could have played hogak i presume he has all the cards for that if he has all the cards for dredge but he maybe just thought dredge was better positioned i don't know or maybe it did maybe he, he thought maybe maybe he thought particularly that like people were going to bring so much much graveyard hate and dredge can do a little bit better against Graveyard Hate, you know, over a long game than Hogak can or something like that. I really don't know, to be honest. People definitely brought decks that they thought were strong, like like Tron, um, Jund, Blue White Control, Phoenix, you know, uh, stuff like that were, were all stuff I saw and played played against. So, but I I really can't figure out an exact reason. I think it was just the luck of the draw that day that there wasn't much Hogak. But I think in the other tournaments on this series in Ireland, I don't think they've been dominated by Hogak either in terms of numbers. I think it's just people. Yeah, I think it was, be,
2: it was To get the cards, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was, it was the same case for those other tournaments where it seemed like this very diverse field where you know, the topic was really, you know, wouldn't be Chark type. Uh, not many people playing Hogak. Um, yeah, it is a strange one. Uh, I think usually in a format like this, you'd kind of. Well, my expectation would be, say, if, at the start of the season, if I, was, if I knew how dominant Hogak would be, I'd almost expect her to be like. Um, like a field of everyone, everyone was playing their pet deck, or the deck they think is very good, and maybe like you know a team of like four spikes all on the same, you know, kind of uh, on on the same, you know, very very strong hogak list. But it did we just didn't see that? We just saw people displaying yeah powerful decks, strong cards, uh, but not not much hogak.
0: I guess card availability and stuff is a factor as well, and maybe people are not super <laughs> enthused about buying pieces for hogak because. Not only of the you know the recent ban, like maybe with the recent ban, people started to get rid of some of their hogak stuff if they had already had it, or you know in combination with the the mythic championship results, they they decided not to buy it, not to buy into it.
1: Yeah, yeah that, I mean that, like that, like vengevines Venge are like what twenty five euro each or something like that. Like bloodgasts are are like fifteen, you know. Like blackleaf cliffs is an expensive card if you don't have that already. I know a lot of people would have that. Like grave crawlers have gone up to like. 12 euro each or something like that. So there are actually, like, it's not trivial to just put, put this list together. There's, like, quite a few of the rares are actually quite expensive now in the, because of the the spike at, the, at this printing of Hogak.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, it's probably a matter of you're thinking, uh, oh, I could buy this, I could, you know, shout out or kind of run around, put a, put all this effort if it's either in true paying money for actual cards or from running around borrowing the cards off people in order to play this very, very powerful deck. But this deck is going to be on everyone's radar, so everyone will have pay for it. So it's like has almost kind of has a cost in two factors. Uh, in that way,
1: yeah. Then and if again, you think I, I have... if you think it's going to get banned, you're just going to lose money on all those cards you just bought. You just know you're going to lose like thirty percent of the value straight away if they get banned on your Venge finds and on your Blood and all that.
0: All right, so that's why people didn't play Hogak. Um, do you feel like they played decks that were that they thought would be strong against Hogak, or that they thought would be strong against? decks that are strong against Hogak? <laughs> so, like, like um, you maybe I
1: think strong against Hogak.
0: Okay. Because you mentioned... I, I
1: like, sorry, go on.
0: You mentioned Jund, which, like, if you listen to the Arena Decklist podcasts a few weeks ago, before the Mythic Championship, Jerry Jerry Thompson was on Jund, and he wanted to be on Jund because he thought a lot of people were going to be on Blue-White because Blue-White's good against Hogak.
1: Yeah. So there, so there, were, were, there were people on both, essentially. I think there were... I think everyone was just on a solid deck. No one really warped their, their deck that much to beat Hogak, but I think everyone thought they had solid game against it. I would say probably almost everyone in the room had four Leyline of the Voids in their sideboard, and probably almost almost no one in the room sideboarded in the, them in very much over the course of the day. Um yeah like i know like the one of the john players i played against had multiple scavenging oozes in their in their main deck you know so maybe people are making that kind of concession to hogak but i think a lot of the time it's uh, you know it's just modern and, and it's a local scene and and people just show up with their their one deck that they have and they tune it as as best they can i think for the most part there's maybe a couple of players in the room who have access to a ton of different modern decks you know and and can kind of uh decide on the day what to play, but I think the majority of the field basically is limited to like one or two deck choices, so they're just going to play whatever they're most familiar
0: with. Okay, so do you want to give us a rundown of how the tournament went for both of you guys? Maybe take turns?
1: Sure. Uh, So I'll go first. So I I showed up late, so I started with a game loss in round one. Not exactly ideal. Uh, I realized quickly, because I was playing against Joe, uh, that he was on Dredge, and going into game two with a game loss meant I had to play unsideboarded against Dredge uh, a game a game down. So uh, I lost I lost round one very quickly, and that was fine. <laughs> Al, how was your round one? And what did, uh, sorry, I was playing Aldrazi Tron, but that didn't really matter in the first round. <laughs> Go
2: ahead, Al. Um, yeah, so in the first round, I was playing, uh, yeah, so I guess for, all, for all the rounds, I was playing uh, Monagreen Tron. Uh, yes, yeah, so a background, I suffered a uh very devastating defeat with a uh, monogreen tron back in I think it was February in a uh an RPTQ in Glasgow and um I haven't touched the deck since and I've not played on Magic Online since and uh basically I I kinda of sat out a lot of this modern season uh even in terms, in terms of watching it because you know from seeing Hogak being so dominant um didn't really make me want to you know but didn't the format just wasn't very appealing with all that with all that discussion. Then very basically at the last minute I decided here I'll just you know register my old 75 cards um to, to this to this, um, this tournament and see how we go. But then, kind of as as the tournament kind of drew nearer and nearer, I started getting a fear of like, oh my god, am I really just giving up this really, really potentially powerful, um, you know, Karn wishboard plan? Uh you know, maybe I really should just uh, you know, play an up to date list. And uh, as if the Karn father has forgiven me for my sins and uh, fate shone its light upon me, that uh, the night before the tournament, uh, Joe Cunningham, has mentioned um, uh, posted that he was selling a bunch of uh, cards from including the Karns and the board. So I snapped them up and I put them on my deck, speed them up, register them, and um, I lost round one. Uh, round one, I played against uh, uh, Humans. So Humans has always been sort of a matchup for Tron. It's so aggressive and it's also disruptive. Uh, Thalia does a lot of work to slow down Tron. It basically, it slows down Tron by exactly one turn. And it's, that's exactly the turn you need to turn the game around. Uh, in game two against against uh, Humans, I basically I was facing down a board of Flyers. And there's a big board. Uh, I was about to lose, but then like assembled Tron and pulled out um yeah, you know, and played Cran Great Creator and I minded him to go get um his Steering bridge. And then when I played his Steering bridge, I just realized how incredibly powerful this plan was because it's yeah, but the 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 Staring Bridge was completely shut down the board. Um allowed me just to really kind of take some time to start building a board again to turn the game around back into my favour. Uh and I was it was almost ironic that the the humans player had just the pre, the previous turn had pumped his whole team with Tally his lieutenant, but it was that pump of the team that made them no longer be able to attack uh, under the bridge. Um, so I felt very, very smart and I just felt very, very powerful doing this. Uh, and then my past turn back, uh, my opponent uh, drew a deputy detention and uh, killed me. But um, even though that was, that was unfortunate, I still got to see the raw power of uh, Karen, the Great Creator, and in Staring Bridge in the Cyborg.
1: So in round two, I also got to see the power of Karen, the Great Creator, which I was playing as a four of in uh, in the deck, obviously. And I was paired up against Bevan, who was playing Affinity. He's one of one of the better modern players in the in the country, I would say. Just on the on the back of that, he's well, he's a very good aggressive deck player, anyway, in every format. But he's been playing Affinity for years. He really knows his stuff with the deck uh he's just a very strong player so he's someone that like if i'm sitting down against him in, in any tournament i would like be i would be pretty nervous but especially in a modern tournament i would really not fancy my chances because i think he's just he plays that deck very very clinically and you're never gonna you know beat him in a racing situation or whatever he's always gonna have the numbers figured out very well but i sat down to this match feeling extremely comfortable because i knew he'd be on affinity and i had four current's in my deck so i kept an opening hand with two karns and i quickly drew a third one um i didn't hit tron but i was able to play karn on turn four um which shut down he on board he had a steel overseer a springleaf drum a mox diamond and i think a dark steel citadel or something like that so that was about half of his board that just by playing my planeswalker in turn four i completely turned off and he hadn't amassed too much power on the board yet so i felt pretty comfortable and because I already I had two more Karns in my hand at that point, I just said, I'm just going to get Micasynth Lattice. And then if I hit Tron next turn, I can just uh, cast another Karn and play it. Uh, and if I can't, then uh, I don't really care if this Karn dies anyway, because I'll be able to just play the second Karn and get something else. So I didn't hit Tron next turn, he killed my first Karn. Uh, I was able to play a second Karn and get Ensnaring Bridge and played that, and then he was unable to attack. Uh, then nothing happened for a couple turns. Eventually, he was able to Galvanic Blast my second Karn down and kill it. Um, And then he was able to get me quite low, but then I had enough mana the next turn to play the third Karn and Micasynth Lattice, at which point he said, okay, let's count our decks. And he had fewer cards in his deck, so he scooped. Eventually, I would have been able to get a win condition. Obviously, I would have just been able to play a Ballista and and ping him for 20 but he was happy to scoop once he saw that i could just deck him out uh, which is probably what i would have done just to make game one last as long as possible if he hadn't scooped i think that's kind of what you want to do uh, if they just play it out under a microsoft lattice i don't think you should tell them they should scoop or anything like that i think you should just keep playing magic cards keep playing your lands and stuff like that and just let them uh, use up as much time on the clock as they can as they want to i don't know if you agree with that al but that was what i was going to do
2: Sorry, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm missing something. Sorry. You, you locked him in, like I said, Alice. Uh, he had a board, but did, he didn't have his own card, so he were not both locked. Was, he was only locked.
1: Yeah, he was locked. But basically, yeah. I was like, I didn't want to show him any more cards in my deck. I didn't oh, want to sure. Show okay. Yeah. Ballista yeah. Or whatever.
2: Yeah. 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 So yeah, I was so just you, going you, to you, let him deck himself. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're, you're probably incentivized to try and win with one card, which probably, which probably you can do. You can just sit back with a Ballista um, and pump it every turn. Right. Right. But I was saying, I didn't even want to do that.
1: I was like, maybe he just won't think about Ballista. I mean, that's unlikely. Oh, okay. But it's like I, he has fewer cards in his deck, so I know he's going to deck himself and he can't do anything about it. So I was just like, if he's not going to scoop, I'll just let him deck himself slowly. Because at that point, like half an hour in the round will be gone and he has to win two games, you know?
2: Yeah, I guess so. But I suppose it's been... <laughs> he's going to know you're playing Walk of Blitz anyway. I mean, Yeah, yeah I know. but uh, thinking, so, yeah. yeah, I know. I guess so. But, so. Uh, well, I don't know, because he has
1: to our decks. So then I was like, maybe he doesn't realize I have Ballista. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. anyway. So uh, then he, he killed me on turn three game two, and there was very little I could do about it, um, even with my two spatial contortions that I'd brought in from the sideboard. <laughs> uh, and then in game three, I was on the play, and I think again, I just had I think I just had a turn three Karn or something like that. And, and that was pretty much the game. So that, was, that really showed me the power of Karn because, yeah, just having a stony silence effect in game one, uh, like against Affinity is obviously the best case scenario for that because the deck is all artifacts, a lot of which have activated abilities. But like, even if you're just playing it against an Aether Vile deck or, or you know, a Mox Opal deck like Hardened Scales or something like that, or, you know, that has Ravager too, obviously. So it's kind of similar. But there's just a lot, there's just a lot of decks in modern where, you're, it's just a huge bonus in game one before you even get the lattice from the sideboard or whatever uh, that you just shut random stuff down in your opponent's deck. So that made me go, "Yeah, wow, this current this current card is a little
2: wild." Yeah, it is crazy how it's um, it's incidental. It's fast time sandwich is strong enough to entirely shut down um, a lot of strategies in modern. It's crazy. Even even
0: against like opposing like actual Tron decks, full full on Tron decks, like you might get into a situation where they're quite slow with their. With their Tron lands or their Tron hands. And they have lots of the uh lots of the one mana artifacts that they use to search or or crack to draw cards and then you kinda get to turn those off.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it turns off Ostone Stone and stuff as well. How did round two go for you, Al? Um yes, yeah, so round two I was played against I was playing against a so it was a Mardu deck. Uh, I wasn't so basically Mistakes I made in this matchup where I wasn't entirely sure what the deck was doing in in um, in like game two. So game one I just had natural drawn and I just ran him over very quickly. So sideboarding I wasn't entirely sure what to sideboard for. I mean cards I saw where I saw dread Arcanist archivist and unearth. So I was really like I was thinking what the hell what what is he doing? Um, I, I couldn't really I couldn't figure out what it was. To, to, yeah, what my opponent's plan was. I thought it was maybe some kind of um, some kind of very linear strategy with unearth with some kind of reanimation kind of thing. on unearth going on? I, I, I wasn't sure. So yeah, uh, I thought it, uh, when I
1: when I saw, I thought yeah. it might have been like a lightning skeletal deck or something like that. Those yeah, yeah.
2: exactly. Yeah. Um. So I was kind of waiting for something like unfair like that to, to happen. So uh, in game two, I had um, I uh, yes, yeah, so I I brought in Sergio's. I say well, okay. First of all, game two, I I, I Mulligan to five. Uh. So I was but in. You know, if <laughs> we with, with, with Tron, you can you can sculpt your hand with a London Mulligan. Uh. So by five was fine. Um. Sorry, it's actually four. So I Mulligan to four, and my four is fine. Uh, so I had Surgical uh, Straction in my hand. Uh, so my Opponent's Graveyard had both uh, um, Lingering Souls and a... Um, so he had yeah, he cast Lingering Souls, had two tokens out. He also had... Um, oh my God, what's the card we hate? Uh, <laughs> looting. Looting. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one of those in his, in his, in his graveyard. How, how could I forget that card? The um, yeah, Looting in the Graveyard. Uh, so I was kind of deciding between um the yeah, looting and uh, Lingering Souls as to which one i take with Surgical. Um, I, and my rationale at that time was I felt like he was, he was probably doing something unfair and hadn't quite got the engine running yet. So if I Surgical his uh, Fatal Suiting, I can you know, shut down that engine. Then I Surgical Fatal Suiting and then, you know, the shooting, and then uh, he had a second Lingering Souls in his hand. Uh, so I was like, oh, that's that's a, a lot of value I've this said on, but oh well. But it turned out that um, it was only after this I realized he was on a, he's literally just playing Marty Pyromancer. Um, I hadn't seen any Pyromancers uh, in the first or second game, but then I realized he was just playing like, like, a, a, basically a fair strategy with Lingering Souls. And uh, if I hadn't known that, Lingering Souls would easily have been the the target of, of uh of my surgical. So I lost game two because of that. But then in uh, game three, once I knew what it was he was doing and I knew how to combat his strategy, uh, I basically knew just that yeah, like, he was playing a very strategy that Tron really preys on. Uh once I was able to adapt to my own strategy, I was able to beat him quite handily in uh, game three. Also without what again. Uh
1: what was he doing with the dread horde Was it just thought season inquisition that it was flashing back and lightning bolt? Or what was Yeah, going that,
2: on? that's that's what, that's what it seemed like, yeah, this does. Those one drops, uh, I don't, I don't think it's a great choice. Uh, sometimes I'm you tap out and turn two and I'd think, all right, Fire Monster's gonna be pretty tough here. And you play it one three, I think, oh, that's that's fine. I think it's someone commented later on that it's definitely the kind of deck people want to be good in modern because like people want modern to be that kind of fair grindy format. Uh, well, at the moment, it really just isn't. And uh, uh, this isn't this really isn't what you want to be doing.
1: I'll tell you though, you can do it in vintage Dread Horror Ar- Arcanist oh, is going you know. to vintage staple.
2: <laughs> oh, wow, yeah, got it, a. Very appealing to you know, Brainstorm and...
1: Ancestral Recall, dude.
2: Oh my god, how did not think of that? <laughs> 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 Gotta think bigger. Yeah, Vintages okay. of them. Ancestral Recall, it's pretty good.
1: There's always uh, a greater card draw power. <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly, so uh, how was your round? So at this point, we're both... Yeah, we're both up around. We're up boat, we're one 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 going to train 3, so we're... Yep, so... Start, th- but we're doing well. Yep, so
1: uh, round 3, I played against Is It Phoenix um game one i think i got basically run over pretty handily i like killed a thing in the ice with a dismember, but i think i just didn't really get that much going and i just i just got killed by a couple of phoenixes before i could i think i played a Karn but didn't have quite enough mana to get enough done like i didn't have enough mana to um to or i had too many cards in hand to ensnaring bridge and uh yeah, I think, and I think I didn't have enough mana to lattice, so I think I just got run over before I could really get the get the lock going. Um, game two didn't sideboard a single card because I didn't think Spatial Contortion did very much in the matchup, which is again my only sideboard card essentially, apart from the Lord of the Void. Um, but I did get to play the spicy one-of I'd brought to the tournament because I put this deck together a bit at the last minute and I didn't have uh, the perfect list. So a lot of lists were playing in Ugin the Ineffable uh, as a kind of removal spell slash threat. And I thought, you know, I don't have one of those, but that's not an Eldrazi. So what other removal spell slash threat is there that's an Eldrazi? Now you might think of cards such as Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger, but you'd be wrong. I went with Standard, Banned, All-Star, Emrakul the Promised End which uh i'm not sure if it was a good choice but it was definitely a fun choice which is you know you gotta that's important sometimes even if you're a spike so i got to uh, i got to resolve emrakul in the second game probably a mistake basically i was like uh I, I like i i did i can't remember if i had the mana to play karn and lattice that turn i think i did but basically if if my opponent had bolt in hand um to kill the Carn. I think I would have just died to Phoenixes the next turn, so I didn't go for that line. Instead, I played an Emrakul, and I thought I can probably just survive another turn with the Emrakul out, um, and then you know I can get rid of a Bolt in his hand if he has one, and then and then I can lattice him and win the game. So I played Emrakul, um, and then took my opponent's turn. Um, he had uh, a Phoenix in hand. He had a Faithless Looting, um, uh, Magmatic sinkhole and i think i misplayed this where i delved a bunch of stuff with the magmatic magmatic sinkhole uh, to kill his to kill i think his uh, thing in the ice but i didn't think that first i could have killed the phoenix and there was another phoenix in his graveyard and then i could have delved and gotten rid of both the phoenixes i think i think i only got rid of one phoenix with the delve which was a mistake uh, and also he had a pyromancer's ascension out Uh, And when I cast a spell, he said, oh, trigger on the Pyromancer's Ascension. Uh, And I said, yeah, sure, resolves. And then he ticked up a counter on the Pyromancer's Ascension, um, which we only found out after the game is a May trigger. So obviously, if I'd realized that at the time, I would not have put the counter on the Pyromancer's Ascension. uh, And things probably would have gone a bit better for me here. So I kind of take a reasonable Emerical turn uh take all the all the relevant cards out of his hand. He has he has now an active pyromancer's ascension, but he has no cards, so I don't think it's a problem. I think I'm on like I think I'm on like 10 or something at the time. And then he rips uh for his turn and he got finale of promise, the red finale. So he was able to finale of promise uh copy it uh and then cast I think two manamorphos and two cantrips off it, which were also got doubled by the the pyromancer's ascension and he essentially just completely stormed off, drew like 15 cards or something like that, brought back four Phoenixes, and then he would have still been able to like uh double lightning bolt and stuff and kill me as well. So he would have killed me from a very high life total at that point. Um so I was thinking afterwards, I was like, could I have could I have gone for a different line than the emerald line? Sorry about that. Uh but I don't think I could have, but I definitely think I misplayed the Emrakul turn itself. Not sure if it would have mattered in the end, but uh yeah, definitely not knowing the text on Pyromancer's Ascension was uh was a big mistake.
2: God, yeah, that's pretty sick. Probably any other draw there would have um, would have given you the game, apart from uh, that. I promise.
1: Yeah, it was a sick draw for sure.
2: Yeah, so my round three, um, I played against a so a mono as my burn deck. What was mono Um, yeah, I thought it was a, red, uh, so a red, burn deck. So this was slightly different to the decks, to the mono red decks, and part... <laughs> I'm so, so used to calling them burn Monored. Uh It was very different to the burn decks. Uh, you didn't normally see a modern. This had uh, this had security critics and um, light up the stage. So. It's a pretty cool combo in that you can you know suspend Rift Bolt turn one and then that switches on your Spectacle for turn two. Um, and classically, you know, red or Burn has been a bad matchup for Tron. Uh, but even though it's a bad matchup, it's a matchup I'm very very familiar with, so uh, I know kind of what I need to do to to, to stabilize and to win. Um, so in this game, I saw the power of Karn in terms of uh of just just you know being able to go get Trinisphere. So um, opponent had uh, had three mana yeah three lands out. He had a, um, I was on something like 10 life. He had a uh, Ripple to suspend. Uh, but I got Karn, got a Trinisphere, which made him have to, made, essentially time off them on his next turn because, you know, in order to cast Ripple, he had to capture mana uh, to cast it. He, he, he could have chosen not to cast it but then, but that probably is the best value to cast him uh, that turn. So, like, Trinisphere against Burn is, is probably very obvious, but it's very, very, very good. And it also just allows you to, um really allows you just, just to, um you know, uh, go get your Mycocent status you know, with Impunity on, on the next turn. So as, as long as they don't have three mana up, which is you know, less likely to be the case, uh, if, if they only have two mana or, or, or one land up, uh, you can safely go get your Mike Centatus and play it uh, and not get blown out by uh, Penetrable. Um, so yeah, that's, it was, at this point, I was like, was really realizing how incredibly powerful uh, Karn was because as, as silly as it sounds to say, it's, it's almost like, in, in especially these one red matchups or these burn matchups, um, it's like, th- even though Tron has like you know, loads and loads, of, loads and loads of finishers, a lot of these finishers require like a full turn cycle to actually win the game. Uh, you know, even if you get a Ulamog down and go you kill know, through the lands, you still need to attack once or even twice uh, to actually end the game. Uh, uh, whereas, like, Karn, great creator, allows you just to end the game immediately, because, like, it doesn't, like, what, when you, when you go get Lattice, uh, like, what, well, like, the pa- play pattern isn't, uh, oh, yeah, you Karn out, you play Lattice, your cast can't cast any spells. Like, what happens most of the time is you play Karn, uh, they ask if you have six mana open, uh, you say yes, and then they scoop. And uh, it's the game that ends immediately, uh, as long as I don't have an answer to uh to you'll know, see you know the Karn and on three life points or something on three loyalty, uh, three loyalty counters. Um, yeah, which obviously so it, so honestly,
1: I gotta yeah. say that's a pretty big leak in people's games because like I know like I definitely felt this way during the tournament and I presume you did too, Al, that like you you're like you're not that confident when you play the lattice if you've minus Karn, because they can just respond and kill the Karn with a bolt or something like that. And then your lattice is sitting on the board doing nothing, and you and you you might be in a terrible position. So like, don't scoop when your opponent gets the lattice. Make them make them cast it because a lot of the time I'm thinking about, can I actually cast a lattice this turn? Do I feel safe enough to try and cast it this turn? You know what I mean? So don't don't just scoop when they get it because there's they still have to make the decision. Do they want to tap out and, and risk you know losing all their mana for this turn and their card in response? So make them do it.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it reminds me of the play patterns you'd see back in the Arthur Travel days where. Um like even though it's a very, very powerful spell, like you are giving up a lot by exposing yourself and casting it. Uh and I say like probably in your game, on um it's like you have to or maybe this maybe maybe this is probably not a line you worth thinking about, but if you you took that you you took the safe play, which I think is the correct play, uh, but that that play is only correct if your opponent is also correctly respecting the lattice all the way through the game. That so, you know, a good player in his position would hold on to a bolt knowing that he can die to lattice at any point. Um and it's like it's it's you're you're kind of um yeah, you're really kind of gauging how much the other player respects uh, the Karn lock, which presumably you know, a lot of players, especially players who're playing Bolt, uh, yeah, really should. Yeah, and and
1: like that came up later in the tournament as well, where I was playing against a John player, and uh, I had Karn out, and he went ugh, and I I had six mana, but he had I know he had Assassin's Trophy in his deck, you know, he had Bolt in his deck. I was just like, there's so many outs here for him to be able to kill the Karn, so I got a Worm Coil Engine. And played that and he looked confused. He was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, Okay, well now I know I definitely know you don't have removal for the card because you're so confused about why I got worm
2: coil engine. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And like it's some someone might say, Oh, maybe he's bluffing, but you can tell if someone's not if someone's if someone's reaction is uh legitimate when it comes to something like that. Uh no, I, I I saw that and I was like He's he's definitely not um pretending he definitely is legitimately confused as to um yeah, why you didn't you didn't just end the game there and then yeah, it tells you everything you need to know about his hand. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So that was my round, three. So how's your round four, Ciarán? Good. Are you, are you still with us, Wolf? Just making sure you haven't disconnected.
0: I am here, yes. Uh,
2: okay, very good. Just <laughs>
1: making sure you're <laughs> attentively listening to our exciting tournament report. Learning a lot. Oh. Yep. uh So my next round was against Jund, my first of two Jund opponents for the day, I believe, was it? So uh, Yeah, I was I was playing against Jund. So... Uh, this was this was I think just some awkward Mulligan decisions from my opponent this round. Like uh, the, the first game, uh, they Mulligan to six, kept, uh, and then missed their second land drop uh, after Inquisitioning me. So they Inquisitioned me, took I don't know what it was like a like a map or a chalice or something like that. Um, I just I had kept kind of a medium hand. I didn't know what my opponent was on, but it was it was kind of good enough. Uh, they missed their land drop again, um, and eventually I just got up to four lands and played Karn. And uh, when when I think I had Tron actually, sorry. So this was this was turn three. I I hit natural. I hit Tron after playing a map. Played Karn. They were stuck. I think on. Uh, on one land sorry so they'd only miss one land drop i was on the play uh and i just played Karn, got liquid metal coating and then in their upkeep just liquid metal coating their one land turning into an artifact to make them unable to tap it uh so then they hit a second land they played their second land that term couldn't do anything and then i just minus Karn again got the lattice played it and that was and that was game over so uh yeah, I don't know. Risky keep from my opponent, one lander on the draw. Obviously, they must have had a lot of one mana interaction to to keep that. But I think with the London Mulligan, when you're playing a deck like Jund, you should you can probably afford to go to five in that situation. I don't know. Maybe their maybe their six was was insane, but it didn't didn't seem like it from my point of view. Um, so again, we went to sideboarding. Uh, I did bring in the Spatial Contortions because. Basically, I figured, like, okay, they have, you know, um, they have, like, Scavenging Ooze, maybe an early Tarmogoy if I can kill. If they're playing Dark Confidants, I can kill those. You know, in a pinch, I can kill a braid Elf to protect my Karn. So I was like, this isn't exactly an ideal place to bring in uh, Spatial Contortion, because Jund isn't that aggressive. But I was like, it's probably good enough. So I brought it in. Um, so this game went extremely long and grindy uh, to the point where we were we were both just, top decking essentially uh, my opponent I think had dealt with a couple of reality smashers uh, I'd gone through a couple of matter reshapers. I'd thought not see them a few times but they were just killing everything they'd gone through you know a couple of Lilianas uh, and then we were both down to top decking which is just which is the position the Joan player is trying to put you in right over the course of a long game and it usually does not bode for you very well uh, but again luckily I had put some spicy spicy cards in my deck yeah. so Uh, The first of which I've already talked about is Emrakul the Promise End. So I was empty-handed. My opponent had on board a Bloodbraid Elf, a Raging Ravine, uh, and a Liliana on four counters, when they passed the turn, turn to me after, I believe, killing my Karn, and, and I had nothing on board, except for a load of mana. So I draw for my turn, I think Al is standing behind me watching the game at this point, yeah. and I believe this, this is the first time you saw what monstrosity I'd put in my deck. <laughs> so I draw for turn, and oh, it's Eberkul the Promised Dead, and I'm looking at it for a second and I'm like, okay, I definitely have the mana, I count my graveyard, I'm like, okay, there's not much in the graveyard my opponent must be like, why is he counting the graveyard? Is he, is he playing Tarmogoyf? with a Zeldrazi tron deck or what has happened <laughs> Um so I have I believe it cost nine and then I had and I had 10 mana. So I tap out uh tap out my nine mana and I and I say trigger and I pass the turn. So my opponent draws for turn it's their only card and they draw a swamp so I'm like okay that's fine that's a blank. So I'm like animate your raging ravine Liliana minus two targeting you you sacrifice your raging ravine uh attack your blood braid elf I'll block with my emeracle pass the turn to you and my opponent's like, oh, geez, okay, I just lost both my creatures, but I still have a Liliana on two counters. So they, they draw for their turn, seems to be a blank, and they're like, okay, minus two, uh, minus two Liliana on your Emerald. and they put their Liliana in the graveyard. And I'm, I snap instantly. I'm like, yep, in response, tap my last mana, which is a Mutavolt to activate my Mutavolt, sacrifice my Mutavolt Muta to live ability. And my opponent's like, oh, no, I didn't see it. But uh, so that was the second card that should not have been in my deck on the day. But uh, in fact, I had two of them because I couldn't find two utility lands I wanted to play. And I was looking through my binder and I just have a million Mutavolt GP promos. So I decided, oh, how bad could Mutavolt be? I'll just play two of those. I was also like, you know, it's an Eldrazi synergy because it's an Eldrazi. That makes any difference when you play it because there's no Eldrazi synergies actually in the deck uh, in terms of power and toughness. But uh, so so that was a hilarious match, and that felt like an absolutely amazing win. I absolutely absolutely robbed someone with a with a ridiculous emerald to Promised end mute vault combo.
2: Oh my God, yeah, that, that was that was great to watch because there's so many times during that sequence where you looked like you're about to make the action to scoop. Uh, I think one point you played, it, you played up, you played up, blood elf, that you got Lady Anna off. Uh, you were like about to scoop everything up, but you're like, "Oh, I play it because yeah. it seemed like you're going to fall so far behind." And then you just ripped that emerald. was pretty sick.
1: It was, it was unbelievable. It was one of the one of the the funniest moments in tournament magic I've ever had. To be honest, I was just like, this is so ridiculous. So this is just pure daylight robbery <laughs> happening to my opponent.
2: Yeah, and, then, and at first I thought Lidiana was uh, was each opponent or attacker opponents. Uh, I, I was thinking, oh well, I can't target Lidiana to, do, to, to to the herself. Turns out he could. And then um, yeah, I was sure your Emrakul was going to die because I I did not know you were playing Mutavault and I did not see Mute Vault, uh amongst your <laughs> mana base. <laughs>
1: I, I snapped it, it off. I snapped it off so fast too. He was like minus two. I was like already topping the beautiful. So I was like yeah, <laughs> got, you got there. That's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. How was your next round? All.
2: Um, yeah. So my round four was uh, against against uh, Sean Inch on uh, Borrows Burn, a uh, uh, more a more traditional uh, build of the deck. Uh, so again, this is a matchup that I'm not. Um, that I guess I'm not favored in, but I, I just know very well from playing it a lot. Uh, Monogreen John versus Burn. Uh, so I guess. Yeah, so I guess it's an example of, um, again, yeah, Karen as well did a lot of work, you know, training here are very, very helpful in this in this matchup. Uh, so again, kind of come back to the point you made about, um, you know, about opponents respecting uh, the Mike's and, Lattice and kind of or making it play it out. So at one point I had Karen, I had the mana to get, go get Mike's and Lattice, but then I went really deep in the tank because uh, you know, my opponent had um, you know, untapped mana and cards in his hand. So I was kind of really just playing through all the different combinations of what cards in his hand kill me if I get Mike's and Lattice. So obviously Annie Bolt, or, um something like a smash as Switzerland will make the lock not necessarily lock, not not really locked um and i was thinking like no like okay well, I was considering going to get through here because if he kills like Karen in response to the turn fear then it's not um not as sentimental um but then it was kind of I, I was basically in tank for a very long time and uh i think it's good that uh, sean didn't scoop immediately because other other players had scooped even before they saw the like not other players scooped before you know before even uh, mind this current to go get it so um, you're, you're the right thing by waiting it out because I I was going back and forth in my mind. I all the different combinations of what 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 kind of uh, burn spells am I seeing if I go get uh, Mike and Lattice versus if I go get Trinisphere. Uh So in the end, I got to, I got the lattice because uh, that will force him to at least use a burn spell on. I, I was on something like nine life or ten life, so I'm still dead to you know three burn spells, which will happen in of course of three turns. Um, even with Trinisphere. but uh, when Mike Lattice, he's forced to use one of them on uh, on current, um and then you know, give me give me another turn. But, uh, yeah, so eventually I got that, and then uh, it, so it turned out he had, yeah, he had Borrow's Charm, uh, Charm and Bolt, but uh, because I got Mike St. Gladys, he was forced to use a Bolt on uh, on Karn. and that, that, that turned out to be the right play, but uh, I was glad that I kind of took the time to think about it, to, to, to think all the lines through, uh, and I didn't just snap and take, I, I didn't just snap, go for the Mike St. when I had a chance to, uh, even though that turned out to be the right play, but um, I considered my other options as well. Um, yeah, so I ended up winning that match, um, and then, uh, going uh, into round five, uh, now 3-1 after a round one defeat.
1: Nice. Uh, yep. So, my next round was against Jund again. So, at this time, playing against Brian Whelan, who I expected to be on Tron. He, he's played Tron for quite a while in the past, and he was wearing his Tron shirt. So, he successfully duped me into into thinking it was going to be a Tron semi-mirror match, but uh, but he was in fact on Jund. Uh, I kept kind of a Mopey 7, like it wasn't wasn't the nuts, but I was quite lucky, I think, not to have Mulliganed against Jund. Um, I did the same thing in game two, because I'm just like very loath to basically ever Mulligan against Black-Green decks um because i just think like you're gonna get thought seized anyway like over 50 percent of the time you're either you, you're either gonna get a inquisition or thought seized so like if you mulligan just to get a hand that works together and you get thought seized anyway you're just like you just don't have the cards to put it together so often when i know against i'm playing against black green decks i will usually just keep like very medium sevens just to have more cards in my hand to deal with uh with seized, inquisition, and um It's not exactly ideal, but that's usually what I do. Um, Yeah. These matches were pretty interesting as well. Uh, Brian was, was talking to me after the tournament to, well, there's a group of us and he was saying that he doesn't really get how to play Jund yet. And like a lot of the time, the targets aren't obvious, you know, what, what are you supposed to spend your removal spells on? You know, when are you supposed to tick Liliana up versus down in some situations? You know what I mean? It's like, it's like the edges are so small with that deck that it, it, feels like you know like you don't know why you win or you lose a lot of the time and i definitely agree with that and these were really really long grindy games so i i could definitely see how that bears out like it i i could definitely feel kind of his frustration at points like uh on that sort of thing um in game one i landed an early chalice turn two chalice uh, didn't really follow it up with much pressure after that. I think it was just a matter reshaper or something like that. But I think just in like Chalice on one is an amazing against John, but I think over the course of the game, it just stranded enough cards in his hand that I that I basically just won because of that. Um, game two was super long, really, really long. This was the game where I got the Worm Coil Engine out of my sideboard and stuff like that, which I think is a really good play against Jund. Uh, like they just have so much removal to kill your Karn and stuff like that that uh, I feel like you can't really be comfortable going for the Mycocent Lattice play. I played an Ensnaring Bridge at one point that he was able to remove with an Abrupt Decay. At another point after that, uh, you know, he went through multiple Lilianas. He killed multiple of my Reality Smashers. You know, having to discard. Um, cards to the, the reality smasher trigger I unfortunately had to uh, had to discard my to promised end to a Liliana plus which I was very sad about which made him gasp audibly when he saw it hit the bin he obviously hadn't seen the previous round which I thought was funny um, and yeah the game just went really long I punted really badly when I he was on five he had a Liliana on four and no blockers and was tapped out and I uh, drew a reality smasher and I played it and it was like attack your Liliana and he was like yep sure thing and I was like, "Oh no, that was a mistake." And he was like, "Yep, I'm on five. That was a mistake." So I killed the Liliana though, but should have won the match at that point. But the game went on for another five or six turns because of that because I just played too fast. Just got excited when I drew a haste creature and didn't look at the life totals. So uh, that's a big punt by me, but it's it's maybe a lesson people people like I'm sure a lot of people make these mistakes just playing too fast in the moment. And you know, it's I think it's always a valuable thing uh, that you can you can improve on is to slow your play down a little bit. And always just think through twice whatever you want to do before you slam the cards down on the table and turn them sideways. Um, and then after that, I got saved again by the Muta Vault. So I had attacked him from five to three with a Mattery Shaper. He had killed the Mattery Shaper, he had Liliana on two left on board, and I was like, Oh, I'm pretty much out of this now, aren't I? And then I drew the Muta Vault, slammed it. I was like, land for turn, go ahead. And he's looking at it, he's like, oh no. He's looking at his Liliana. He's like, can't minus the Liliana to kill that." Draws for turn. It's a black, and he he scoops it up. So Mutavault won me two matches in the tournament, uh, which I think it's the first time I've ever registered Mutavault in my deck. But that has to be that has to be way above expectation for registering that card. That is absolutely.
2: <laughs> I mean, but yeah,
1: the games the games were great, and uh, and yeah, I got to say, Karn, even though it doesn't do anything in particular against Jund in terms of the artifact, just the card advantage of being able to get. You know, decent stuff like Worm coil Engine and Snaring Bridge, uh, and obviously Lattice when you want to win the game. Just being able to, and like, you know, you can maybe get a Spyglass if you need to shut down a Liliana or a Renan Six. Uh, all that stuff is just makes the card extremely good as well. Being able to get Ballista is really nice against the creatures. So, yeah, it's just another matchup, grindy one. It's really nice to have that card advantage and tutoring.
2: Great. So, yeah, so my last round.
0: Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, well, at this point, so there was one more round, right? It was a five round tournament.
2: Five rounds total, Yeah, so Kieran third Five. Um I'll describe it as my last. Oh okay. Um yeah, so my last round, um, my opponent conceded to me, uh, which I, I I made sure he was sure he was happy to do that. Um because basically the uh the prizes for the Swiss were based prior prizes were based on Swiss standings. Um uh you know the TO and the judge made it very, very clear all the way through that and, um, you know top eight was just for the invitation. Uh and then my opponent asked me if I if you know if I was if I travel if I got the invitation, I said yes. Uh, he said, "Oh, well, then I concede." Like and I said, "Well, there's only concede yet because you, know, you can still get prizes." Uh, he said, "Oh, he he said he didn't really care much for prizes, um, for just for disputes. Uh, I guess we're already both positive at this point." Um, so I very much appreciated that, um, that he, he conceded to me, even though, uh, he would lose out on, on prizes, and uh, that allowed me to go into the top eight. Uh, top it was was surprising.
0: Nice. So who who was your opponent?
2: Yeah. Uh, Patrick. Uh, shout out to Patrick, seven dude. Um, but um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, so then. Yeah, top eight was announced. Uh, I, I was very surprised at the top So I think I even, even happened in even happened, um, last round one uh, when I played against Sean, I was paired up against Sean. Sean was trio uh in, in round four. So uh, I think winning there was, was you know, pretty important for my breakers. So I was in a comfortable position uh, going into the top eight.
0: All right. And how did the top eight go for you? Uh,
2: quite well. Well, not as well as I would have liked to. So kind of, it was kind of strange because people dropped at this point because people who didn't want the, you know, the invitation, who didn't want to travel. Uh, so in in the quarterfinals i ended up playing against that mardu deck again um and because i yeah but because because i i this time i knew i knew the strategy um i knew how to yeah how to combat the strategy and i felt very very favoured. the games felt very straightforward uh, in game one i had he had like he had a very active graveyard a whole lot of stuff going on in his graveyard a whole lot of spells uh to, to cast um then i got karen and then basically i, I got karen with some mana left over uh he had, so at this point he had two uh lingers tokens uh, in the air uh i had i cast karen i had two mana left over so I was actually buying someone looked by my and kind I'm of thinking, "Oh yeah, I'll just go in here. I'll get a welcome list uh, maybe I'll be able to shoot down one of those one of those spirits." Then I saw a Craftricus Cage, and I looked at the board again, and I was like, "Oh, Craftricus Cage is quite good uh, here." And then just being Craftricus Cage just stared, shut down the game entirely. Uh, so that that just felt crazy to me that I was able to just so cheaply access this uh, really really important cyborg card in game one uh, in order to combat um, you know his is uh, a large part of uh, his strategy. Um, so yeah, those games were handy, handy enough. Um, and then in the quarter final, sorry, in the semi-finals, I was against Sean again um, on, on Borough's Burn. And because so, I beat him before, I was ready to beat him again. So uh, I won round one, Um, won, yes, game one, I, I would not have enough, game two was a little bit longer, but he won. Um, so yeah, so game two, I got Trinisphere and kind of you know, shut down a lot of, i, I slowed him down quite a lot with Trinisphere, but it wasn't enough because came back and won. So then uh, shooting up for game three. Uh, As well, at this point, kind of like what Kieran was saying, I was sideboarding very little because of this current board. Um. Which I think is very, very good because it's uh, you know, one mistake I usually do you know, in playing Tron is over sideboarding tough matchups. So the fact that you have fewer cards to sideboard kind of <laughs> lets you make fewer mistakes. Uh, but it was not enough to stop me from making this mistake because um, when I got my opening hand for game three, I was like, all right, this, this is the important one. This is me on the play game three for the uh, seat in the finals. And then uh, my opening hand had a trinity Sphere in it. So um, now I've been in this situation before. So my hand immediately shot up. I called Judge. Judge came over. I was like, yep, yeah, I have a cyborg card in my hand. And then uh, I was out of or and Sean said, this is game three. Like, of course, you're going to have a cyborg card in your opening hand. Then I was like, oh, yes. And then I counted my cyborg and there's 14 cards in it. So um, because in my brain, I thought, yeah, I'm you know, going from game two to game three. I'm going to keep the same sideboard, I'm not going to go back to my cyborg or change out any cards. Uh, I just shuffled that transfer I'd wished for back in. Uh, so I was now playing with a 61 card deck, um, you know, on a 14 card sideboard. So the rules have been changed recently, to, so that's no longer a penalty. This is, that's basically what I'd done was, you know, a legal, a legal play, a legal move. Um, so uh, the judge was like, "Yep, yeah, I'm going to walk away now. There's nothing, nothing wrong here." Uh, and then I was looking at this opening hand, and I, was, I mean, it was, it was, kind of, it wasn't a great kind of Tron hand. I think I had maybe, uh, you know, i a few, I think, a two pieces, but you know, no, no way to fetch it another one. So. I wasn't quite sure if I was going to keep him or not, but then I think it having Trinisphere made me think, alright, your Trinisphere is good in this matchup. Um, if I shuffle the Trinisphere away, I won't be able to get it from Karn. And like I said before, Trinisphere is quite important in, uh, in in this matchup, so I decided to keep it. Uh, and then you know, my draws weren't great, so I ended up just playing and he, he also had a, Sean had a, had a fast start uh, with, a goblin, with a Goblin Guide. So I ended up just playing out Trinisphere on turn 3, but just tapping out for it on turn 3, uh, which I very quickly realised that, yeah, it was slowing him down, but also uh, it slowed me down quite a lot as well. So usually when Karn, great creator, go you know, go gets gets the Trinisphere and plays it, your engine is already running. You already have a lot of mana. You know, you don't need your your cantrips as much. Whereas before you have Tron assembled, like those cantrips, those interest rings and those stars and spheres are so important uh, that the Trinisphere and the board just really just clogged clogged that game plan up. Um so so Sean had the aggressive advantage already uh, while I slowed the game down for both of us that uh, it was quite easy for him to continue to mount an advantage uh so he's attacking me with the goblin guide. Um at one point the goblin guide reveals a, a uh Uh so I'm thinking, oh yes, right, Thrak Dusk is all I need to, to, to win this. Uh you usually just get him when track goes down and, and gaining five life is, is enough. Uh but then while, the, while, the Thrag, while the dusk was revealed on top of the library, uh during his turn, because he was so you know uh, you know cut for his mana, uh, he casts uh, yeah, he cast his skull track, which I'm thinking, oh that's not good because if he knows Tractusk is coming. I cast that's very. that means he, he very likely has another one in his hand that uh, he's ready to cast. And then I was unable to cast the, the Trag Tusk, Um so, yeah, I, so you, I only had... You, yeah. Just to clarify, you had four mana at the time, you didn't have enough to cast tra- Trag Tusk, yeah. Uh
1: and he knew a Trag Tusk was on top of your deck as well, so it's unlikely you're going to be able to cast it next turn as well.
2: Exactly, yeah. Yeah, well, there, there was a line that I could take where if I cracked a star and drew exactly an untapped land, uh, I wouldn't be able to cast it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then something happened in this case. So I, 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 did that, and I was like, yeah, my only out to win here is to draw exactly land, uh, while I have you know one green mana floating. Um, but then I, I said, drew uh, nature's claim. Then at this point, I'm like, yeah, I can't cast anything else by hand. I need to cast. You know, I need to tap two lands and use one floating mana to cast nature's claim. Um, I'm going to have to target my three sphere because of the targets for it. Uh, I need to gain the life now. Um, I know it's likely he has he has uh, skull crack in his hand. Uh, but I can't wait. I, mean, I, I can't you know, do it when he, when he taps out because I just had this you know, green, this green mana, my mana pool. So I have to do it now. So I, I just cast it, and then he responds to uh, cast Skullcrack, uh, and that was the end of the game. So uh, I was both. I, I was in the end foiled by uh, my my lovely Trinity or My six sideboard tech, my six sideboard, cardboard, mainboard tech uh, defeated me. Also, uh, the the card in which this podcast is named after defeated me. Uh, and also, uh, Sean, a very capable uh, modern player who uh, went on to win the tournament, also defeated me. But that was the end of my run in the war chest.
0: I, d- I don't know if I've ever heard a card described as a sideboard, carnboard, mainboard card.
2: <laughs> yes, uh, it was went from my sideboard to my carnboard to my mainboard. And my mainboard stayed where it should not have been.
0: Right, okay. Yeah, it does make sense now that you explain it, but uh, <laughs> it's just jarring deer. Okay, so, well, that was a good run for both of you. Sounds like you had some good games um, and a bit of a, I guess, a bit of an anachronistic <laughs> modern tournament in some ways. It sounds like you were playing modern five years ago.
2: Yeah, yeah I think maybe. it was really just the Cairns. Yeah. yeah, the, the Karns what made, it, what made it feel ent- entirely different for me. Um, sure. But yeah. yeah, I was playing, yeah. But then apart from that, yeah, pain. playing... Playing against Burn Humans and Marty our answer, it uh, definitely
1: felt. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was like, I played Jun twice, but they're packing a bunch of Ren and Sixes now and Collector Oofs and stuff. So we were seeing a lot of new cards throughout all our matches. There's definitely, even the old decks are playing new stuff now, except Affinity. Well, Affinity was playing, I think, Mystic Forge, but that was it.
0: Okay. The strategy then with the, the wish board thing is that you just, you never actually board those cards in, right? Because you actually—I yeah, don't think you ever do,
1: yeah. Yeah. Because you just have so much more chance to find one of your four cards than find the one copy you board in, right? So,
2: yeah. Yeah. So I've, um, yeah. So I—I I started playing the second lot on on Magic Online now. So I since that tournament, my by, by fire for Modern has have and I reinstalled Magic Online. Uh, I had to get my password. Yes, yeah, we're not
1: putting that on the podcast. what's going to hack your Magic Online account
2: yeah oh no okay um <laughs> i'll change it before the podcast goes up well, <laughs> I'll, I'll just edit it out <laughs> yeah, yeah, starting okay god damn it but now you can do it yeah uh, i'll I'll change it anyway That's us be sure okay um yeah.
0: i'm just gonna <laughs> yeah i'm gonna leave this part in the podcast and just so the listeners know i'll i'll told us i'll breach his own security so <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah Leave
0: it at that. <laughs> We've had to save him from himself by editing it out.
2: Yes. Um I well, did, did you say what I said? No. But well, obviously you didn't say no. what I said. No, no. Okay. Okay. Um <laughs> gdpr is very important to kids. Uh yes. <laughs> um yeah, so anyway, so all I wanted to say was I live back at the magic online. That's that's basically the gist of what that anecdote was for. a uh, lot back at magic online to to practice modern, uh play more modern because I just want to play some more modern. So I played yeah. So I've I've now played against Hogack a few times, so I think um, you do want... Uh, I really did want um Cage in my main board for the Hogak um, or even the strength matchups because you just need that. You, you need Grav Cage very early on uh, in, in matchups like that. So, so getting it off current too slow. So are playing the, the lines, like that, are you? I'm not playing Ley Lines, no.
1: Oh, okay. Right, right. Yeah, I think with all Drazi Trons it's a bit different because I was playing four Ley line of the board.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think that, that, that's fine because I think it's you know, Drazi Tron's um, Drazi Tron's uh, you know sideboard is usually quite bad, so it's you know, yeah shoring up um you know spaces with but then you know, it makes makes sense there because uh, yeah because you know in, in the the in that place, in Green Tron in greentron you're playing you know nature's claim and uh uh veil of summer and stuff
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense and how many cages are you playing uh, just
2: one playing I, 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 I mm, board relics okay. one relics inside as well mm, okay interesting
0: well like, yeah I could see it. I could see that then yeah the cage is useless to you on turn four or whatever when you play the card yeah yeah good point yeah. yeah.
1: Relic yeah, is not still to, quite good, yeah. so maybe you still want to leave a relic in the sideboard because that's better later, or a Tormwet's script or whatever.
2: Yeah, so you can specifically go get it. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that's true as well because usually in against you know, against Hogak, they if you if you survive to the mid game, you know, they've just basically turned their whole their whole you know, library upside down. Um, so in that situation, you just want to get rid of it in with two mana uh, rather than leave uh, Gravewalker's Cage out exposed.
1: Yeah, so it'd be nice to still have something in your sideboard you can get with Karn in the mid game, maybe.
2: Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, so we can. Yeah, so I suppose you have relics here and that place, and then um, you're kind of yeah. So I also say in other match as well, you know, the, the cards I take out, I tend to take out are usually artifact cards anyway. So which is really cool because it, it means that if you if you want to get them, uh, you still can. You know, if you realize sometimes I take out Runkoil Engine in some matchups, and um, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, I really wish I didn't side out those Runkoil Engines. And you're like, oh wait, I can go get the Karn. Yeah, pretty great,
0: pretty awesome. Yeah, if
1: you're if you're able to just side, yeah, mostly artifact cards like that, that's pretty ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Okay, well. I feel like all this discussion has made me feel like I want to play modern now, but I have no avenue to play modern. I guess I could play on magic online, but that's terrible.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think it's probably the, one of the best formats to play on magic online, but it, magic online is still a little bit terrible. Uh, you could play on X mage or something like that. You could deal with all the people rage quitting and playing terrible decks and calling you a net decker and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm enjoying playing uh, magic online. Uh, I, I never thought I'd say that. i I, I've sold out Magic line earlier this year, so um, I'm using a card rental service, which uh, is pretty good, actually. Okay. Uh, I'm I have Yolo uh, Yolo registered for an MCQ uh, in the first weekend of September. Nice. I'll so, uh, just rent custom cards out between now and then.
0: Cool. Well, we'll get a nice tournament report out of that. Uh, you, you mentioned the you, you mentioned the Mardu Pyromancer deck that you played against earlier, like that, and how like that's how people want the format to be. I feel like if I did play Modern, I would want to play a deck like that. And then I would just get really disappointed because that's not good enough anymore.
2: I mean you
1: can definitely yeah. play John. John Jond is a very similar deck to that, right?
0: I guess I feel like uh, I've been kinda of eyeing up like Esper Death Shadow decks as well, or Esper or Mardu Death Shadow decks, which are probably a bit more viable because like Death Shadow is like a, a bit more of a powerful thing.
1: Well, let me tell you, you do not ever want to cast a Death Shadow and then have your opponent cast Aria of Flame, and that is happening a lot in the current modern format.
0: Yeah. Oh my god! Actually, yes. Uh, that ten life—it's not gonna, not gonna do your Death Shadow any fav- any favors.
1: No, that's that's kind of the reason why I've put away my Death Shadow deck for uh, for the foreseeable future,
2: to be honest. Mm, okay. Oh, that's Jim. Yeah, I, I, someone managed to cast a turn one Death Shadow against me uh, on this Magic Online. I was like, oh, this is the odds hasn't happened in a while i wonder why don't no plays this anymore um and now i know yeah that's pretty much. a pretty good reason not
0: to okay well let's move on to standard we'll talk about standard for a little bit uh in the wake of the mythic championship qualifier weekend coming up next weekend so you guys can let me know your opinions what you've been playing in standard and i'll throw in my my opinions as well
1: standard it's a great format uh Previously in Magic you used to pay two mana for a two two. Now you pay zero mana and get all the two twos you could ever want.
0: Mm. That's Boom. Quite true. I mean technically yeah. you pay four mana.
1: No, I, I rarely even cast Scapeshift to be honest. I just play the lands. Yeah. Hold the Scape Shift and never need to play them.
2: Well, there is a significant deck building uh
1: cost as well. So you're playing yeah. terrible yeah, lands. True. You have to play uh, the two you have to play the two best colours in the format as your main colours, so that's a restriction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you have to you have to play a few a few lands that gain your life and stuff and scry for you. It's terrible, awful no i'm joking obviously it is, a, is, it is <laughs> but i mean it's like usually you just you just end up with hands that it's kind of not really a problem and you can kind of finagle things with a growth spiral so you you know it doesn't end up uh you know choking you on mana for the first couple of turns there's usually a way to do it pretty smoothly
2: yeah exactly.
1: we are we are of course talking about the bad shift deck for uh, for anyone I, I mean i know there are other varieties people are playing like a soul list and uh a teamer list and stuff like that as well, but I've just been sticking with the band version. Just, just simple peanut butter on toast. Just Teferi, Escape
0: Shift, and some rap. Yeah, I think the that's all, the band. I need the band version is clearly the best. I mean, just just the the access to Teferi is just everything, right?
1: It's just absurd. Like, there's so many games yeah. where like I'm already ahead on board because I have a few zombies, and then I just have eight lands, Escape Shift in my hand, and a Teferi, and I just plus. The Teferi, and I just know that I've already won the game no matter what my opponent does next turn, basically.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty sweet. So, I, mean, I guess, like we left off the last podcast, me and Wolf were saying we were going to play two different decks. Uh, you were saying you wanted to play Mono Black. Um, I, I was saying I wanted to play a Sultai Granulation deck, which two decks we found uh, on War Spikes. Um, but we have since abandoned those because they were not good. And uh, now we're all on the Bant Scapeshift train.
0: Well, I'm not on the Bant
2: Scapeshift. Oh, are you not? Oh, you were. And you fell off. Yeah. How do you playing Wolf?
0: I still think it's fine. I I'd, I've just been doing my usual thing and playing like a million different decks. So
1: oh yeah, fair fair.
0: Yeah, like if a deck is uploaded on or spikes, I've played it. <laughs> nice. I've been
1: I've been very boring and I'm just playing switching between kind of Bandscape uh, shift and Vampires. I'm only learning Vampires now. Only started playing it in the last couple of days. So. I actually am winning with it. I think I've won maybe three out of my last four games with it. But I definitely had a few losses at the start there when I didn't really understand the kind of basic play patterns and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, I've been keeping it boring. I haven't, I haven't made mythic yet this season. I'm, let me tell you. Currently, yeah, I'm only diamond at the moment, diamond tier four. So yeah, I'm pretty, pretty far away still. Hmm. So I'm going to be boring. Just play the best decks and try to try to hit mythic. I think.
0: I think vampires is a fantastic deck uh, at the moment. It's just really. Fast, versatile. It draws a lot of cards with the Champion of Dusk. Uh, Certain builds can be like if you have a Sanctum Seeker, uh, Sanctum Seeker build, then you have a lot of reach as well. And Sora does does everything for the deck. It it allows you to win against like Nexus through several like Root Snare turns because you can just maybe do six to nine damage over over maybe two or three turns.
1: Yeah, it's the best deck. Uh, or it's the best Adanto Vanguard has ever been in any deck, I think, as well. It's just absolutely ridiculous combined with Tsar and giving it counters and Knight of the Ebon Legion giving that counters using your uh, your Adanto Vanguard.
0: Yeah, like just the ability to like even when when the opponent maybe has a blocker and you like if they have like an Arboreal Grazer on turn one and then you can't you can't get through with your Knight of the Ebon Legion on turn two because you, you don't have enough mana to pump it. Uh, you can just play your Danto Vanguard, pay for life for nothing basically, but just put a counter on the on the uh the knight, which allows it to attack more profitably than in pre- or in subsequent turns. Uh, vampires is the only deck that I actually haven't played at all because I just I don't quite have enough cards and I'm out of wild cards now on Arena, so I think I'm missing like like a couple of legions landing and cards that are not super like the best, but are like not the most critical cards, the best cards in the deck. Like I have the Knights of the Ebon Leaden's I have the Sorens or whatever, but then it's just some of the old Ixalan cards that I'm missing, I think, um, which is unfortunate, but I'm not, I'm not really that interested in crafting them to just, just to play this deck. I think it's, it's a great deck though.
1: Yeah, no, it definitely is. Yeah, a lot of it's rotating, so I I think it's probably not worth doing right now. Like I I didn't have scape shifts, but I just figured ah oh, they're mythics. You don't usually get choked on mythic rares, and there's still you know six or seven weeks still rotation, so I'm I'll happily just do it. Uh but yeah, I mean if you're missing a lot of those cards that are, that are going to rotate, I I can't see how how that would be a good idea. But uh I I just happened to have most of the cards. I had a lot of cards from playing White Weenie and stuff. Um, so I was kind of happy to do it. And yeah, the deck is just. It just feels absolutely brilliant. Like like the nut draws just feel unbeatable, as you say. It feels like it's got game against absolutely everything. Um, I will say I still think it's a dog to Nexus, and I think band Scapeshift probably loses to Nexus as well, unless I'm missing something there. So yeah, I kinda I kind of feel like Nexus might be the thing to play if if these two decks are what you're seeing everywhere.
0: Yeah, that's um Nexus is what I've been playing the last couple of days, and it's still really good. Uh, it obviously it can lose to to fairy out of Bandscape shift, and it can lose to hyper aggression out of vampire. So like it's not it's not like you're completely foolproof against those two decks. They they certainly can beat you, but I do think that nexus is still really really good. And yeah, I there, there's no no deck in the format really that I feel super bad against, except for maybe mono red. And even then, you do just beat mono red some of the times they don't ha- if they don't have quite enough pressure because they don't do anything to interfere with your your setup of, of your cards. So um Yeah. I think Does
1: Monored beat vampires?
0: Mono Red, I don't know. I've I saw I've seen a surge in mono red just just today. So maybe it does. I, I can imagine that it probably does because uh I think red removal is pretty good against vampires.
1: Yeah, because if it beats Nexus Vampires and Scape Shift, maybe we should all just be playing Mono Red.
0: Well I don't know if Mono Red does beat Scape Scapeshift.
1: Mm, yeah, maybe not. I think it does pretty well. I think it does pretty well. I don't
2: know. A reasonable, yeah. I've been playing them. Um, yeah, I suppose I go on along those same lines, I've been playing um, blue red phoenix. Uh, I guess for those same kind of reasons, you know, the red removal lines up well against vampires, and I feel like the, the escape ship matchup is uh, you know a lot easier. Um, you can just you know, just get in scaling very quickly in the air. we uh, would be cracking Drake before they've before they've gone off. Even even after they've gone off, made the board, uh, you can still just get them. Um, you, know, you can still, you can still race them uh, in the air versus uh, what what's happening around.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe blue red could experience some kind of resurgence
1: i kind of feel like after i've put the reps into scapeshift now i feel like that's just the deck i'm going to be playing the most until a rotation i just feel like like if you're like if your opponent stumbles or they're trying to play this fair strategy or they can't deal with it like an instant speed scapeshift it's just like you just get so many free wins like that
2: yeah
0: yeah i, th- I think it's a really fun and interesting deck to play as well again um against a lot of different other decks but uh the thing that got to me was the mirrors i hated the mirrors so i just couldn't couldn't handle them
1: yeah i'm not a big fan of the mirrors either i I think i've been winning them more than i've been losing them i'm not sure why i think maybe i'm playing more deputy of detentions than than other people are like i just think that card is, is absolutely key to to being in the mirror so but like yeah it's not it's not exactly the most fun matchup
0: yeah and then i you know i started to kind of warp my sideboard and even my main board to try to be good against the mirror and then you're putting yourself in awkward situations against other decks and i mean e- even still there's a lot of like metagame churn i feel like people are going back to older decks again and again and again and you'll just come up against the deck that you haven't seen in ages like i feel like esper has gone up a lot this week uh, because there are certain builds of esper that can that can do well uh, against this metagame like obviously they they have lots of wraths which is good against vampires and then if they have a bit of disruption like uh Erasure, Teferi, um I feel like there's something like a, a lot of them have Hero of Precinct One, so that they have can have a clock against uh escape shift decks. Uh I don't
1: I don't know if I can be convinced to play a Erasure deck again while uh Velosummer is around. That's just it's just such it's just such a brutal thing to happen to you on turn two whenever they have that.
0: <laughs> that is true. They don't always have it.
1: No, true, they don't always have it.
0: Well, you gotta respect
1: it it's it's gonna be a quarter of the games you play right because you're you're like 50 50 to have a thought or well no it's gonna be like 20 percent of the games you play because you're 40 percent to have a thought erasure and if they if they have four veil of summers they're 40 after sideboard to have a veil of summer mm. so, so you're gonna be a bit, it's gonna happen at one in five times to you yeah but that's like that's that's a pretty bad thing to happen to you one in five times
0: yeah that is true
1: and yeah. even if that doesn't happen their veil summer's is still gonna do something nice for them later on so i don't know it just makes me scared
0: I mean, maybe there's some kind of sideboard plan that can be arrived at where you board out your, your Thought erasures. Um
1: Oh yeah, maybe. I could see that, honestly, yeah.
0: Yeah, against Green Decks. I played actually against... Uh, well, kind of going back to the the Blue-Red Phoenix that Al mentioned, uh, or Blue-Red Drakes, I guess. Um, I think Flying seems obviously good in this metagame because you're talking about Tons of zombies. If you can put a bit of pressure and then have like an unblockable final threat, you can sometimes push through your win. And it's the same for vampires. They don't have any flying cards, so I was trying red green for a little while I, with like like a kind of a traditional red green with like rekindling phoenix and um, the big dragon. What's it called? Scorpion Guide. And that seemed okay. That's like what I got to mythic with. Brought me through the last few games in diamond, so it was fine. But wasn't very good against scapeshift basically could never win against scapeshift but I was just seeing so many vampires that I was like okay this has to be decent against vampires but I was just losing every single game to scapeshift it was just too slow Um, but I did play today against a feather deck but it was a feather it was a Jeskai feather deck with Hero of Precinct 1 and then like all the other really? cards were gold so it had obviously feather it had um, it had Imperial Eagle and had Aurelia so it was obviously pushing the flyers thing. So maybe that could be good. I don't know. I was playing Nexus at the time, so I just very handily beat it because it had.
1: Wait, so but did it have a lot of feather spells as well? Or was feather just kind of in there as a gold card flyer?
0: Uh, No, it, it had feather spells also.
1: Oh, okay, that's kind of interesting.
0: No, I, I can't say how much, but it definitely had Defiant Strike. And I assume God's willing. Yeah. And then a few red burn spells as well, like shock and lightning strike and stuff. So that could be one approach. I like I like feather decks in a vampires meta. I think feather probably beats vampires a lot of the time, but has a really hard time against Scapeshift.
1: shift. Yeah, I I think that's pretty much how I feel as well. I was really enjoying playing feather like maybe two weeks ago or something like that, and then Scape shift just popped up everywhere, and I was just kind of off it. I just I just didn't want to ever play it.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Dinos, probably a solid choice as well. It's just super fast, big dudes on the board.
1: Yeah, could be okay. I've t- I've lost a couple of matches to Dinos for sure. I haven't tried playing it yet, but uh, I think the nut draws are pretty nutty, definitely.
0: Again, suffers from the same problem that a lot of the cards are rotating out soon, so it's kind of tough to buy into. Although Marauding Raptor yeah. and Regisaur, or Marauding Regisaur, are like the two best cards in the deck, and they're not rotating out, so... That's got to be a
1: good, like, Esper Control sideboard card, right? Regisor.
0: Mm, probably. Yeah, probably.
1: It's four of them at the sideboard and you're just like, screw it. <laughs> Go and have.
2: I was, what? I was playing it as a discard outlet for a Soul Die Yeah, It was pretty good. Love it. Boom.
0: I just think that there's so so many viable decks and it most of the decks are, like, fun to play with and play against. Like, the only times that I really uh, don't enjoy the games are when, uh, like, mainly against Vampires when they have just, like, the ridiculous unbeatable draws yeah
1: i think pretty much everything everything i don't like in the format is basically revolves around to fairy <laughs> just like and he's not rotating so i kind of have an issue with that but i think the format is really good uh apart from that card that card just enables a lot of stuff that i just don't think uh, leads to good gameplay like the, the instant speed scape shifts you can't respond to and stuff
0: yeah that's not yeah, quite dumb. like turning off so much interaction is just a bit sad uh yeah that's why i've got I've got three sounds in my Nexus deck, uh, as well as a callous Dismissal and two Blink of an Eye. I think it's pretty necessary. Nice.
1: Yeah, I think you, you need to do that. Yeah, I didn't have that much of a problem like when I was playing a lot of Nexus navigating the fairy decks. Um, but it's just like... And maybe it's fair enough in terms of Nexus. Maybe Nexus needs a, like a check like that to not dominate the format. But when you're just trying to play fair magic... And, you know, you're you're on the draw and your two drop gets bounced by Teferi. It's just such a bad feeling. And it's just going to keep happening after rotation. So, like, that's my only nitpick of the format, really. I'm really enjoying everything else, though, like the amount of decks and, and most of the gameplay.
0: Yeah, it's very unfortunate, uh, that, that particular play pattern. But the rest, I think, is pretty good. Uh, Have you guys noticed this this new Grixis deck that has kind of arisen? Like, I I was 100% sure. I was like, there is no way that a Grixis deck can be successful in this metagame. But there is this build of Grixis that is going around that's like good against scapeshift that has like an aggressive, has aggressive creatures. It has Knight of the Ebon Legion and Dreadhorde Butcher and obviously Nicol Bolas. And sometimes it has like Legion Warboss in the main, but usually in the side. And yeah, I think it just uses those. And then it has Bloodsun in the main often as well. So it uses those to shut down, shut down scapeshift and uh, make an aggressive start. And then it ha- I
1: think you must be thinking of my uh arena singleton event deck that I dominated to get my unhinged swamp with. Is that is that what you're referring to? My <laughs> Grixis deck?
0: Uh I mean maybe I think that was the same deck that I played. So well,
1: I actually sw- I actually was a complete scumbag and switched to start playing uh twenty four islands, thirty-six persistent partitioners after a while. Right. Uh, just to get my last few wins. Because if you just play against not if against a deck that can't sweep the board, you just win on turn. Six or seven every time, so yeah, pretty good.
0: Yeah, that's why I. Anyway,
1: that's not really a uh, sorry. That's not really viable in standard, but that's just my opinion on uh on the arena singleton meta.
0: No, but it, it does <laughs> kind of uh bring me to the point of a card that has just like soared in popularity, which is Legion's End, because I put that in my singleton Grixis deck and I defeated many Rat Colony and Persistent partitioners decks in that way. And uh, right. it also has applications in standard by exiling many many zombies uh also yeah
1: it's really good in standard i think that's one of the reasons why vampires is able to sit at the top of the meta like it is and why it's so much better than for example like white weenie or something like that i, I was saying this to you yesterday Al, that i think it's just uh yeah it's that that's like a huge part of that is being able to deal with the zombies
2: yeah oh so many why is there with some wisdom care on on there Unrecorded podcasts that never uh,
1: see. Sure, sure. Wolf knows it all anyway. He's just hes, he's <laughs> what it took two of us yesterday. Wolf is just doing by himself today, anyway. So it's fine,
0: <laughs> exactly. So, are, are either of you qualified for this thing next weekend? I am not. I, I never managed to keep the t-
1: top a thousand despite being mythic ranked the last two months. Uh, I, I never managed to crack top a thousand
2: at the end. Oh, uh, I am not qualified. No,
0: where what rank are you at now, Al?
2: I haven't played i oh, I haven't played much last week um I played modern all day uh, yesterday so uh, I honestly don't do not know that's what rank are you uh, what rank are you in modern how many
1: modern points do you have in
2: the um, in your mtG account i I went four oh I went four uh, one in a league that's okay right yeah, very good fair play yeah
0: I think um, that's probably mythic top thousand
2: yeah I'd say so yeah yeah um, I I punted in the game immediately before we we, we uh, cast it, but uh, it was such a significant punt that I'm I'm including it as a win on my spreadsheet. So uh, that's that's fair, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, you can do that. That's how that works. Uh, okay. Make sure you mention that at the top of
2: your Orr spikes post so everyone loses their minds. <laughs> <laughs> People actually say that on Orr spikes. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it was a lose, but you know, it's it was a win. It was yeah, a win. Yeah. <sighs> um, yeah yesterday, yesterday, Wolfie you were saying when you weren't around, you said that. Uh, Perhaps Orspikes isn't the bastion of magic knowledge as we once believed it was. Uh, do you agree or disagree?
0: Um, hmm.
2: I don't think I believe in anywhere anymore as a bastion of magic knowledge. Everywhere, Everything I read now, I disagree with, basically. But you can catch us every week on Skullcrack, which is a bastion of magic knowledge. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, this yeah. We know what we're talking about. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know.
0: I think there's good stuff to be... Gained on on our spikes, as many like
2: many other places.
1: That's that's a good way of putting it.
2: Yeah. Oh, God, calm down, Mr. Bipartisan. Don't fall off your fence. (laughs) Uh, listen, Uh, it's it's
0: comfortable up here. It's not a spiky fence. It's nice and wide. I'm okay.
2: So, what's that subreddit? I like enlightened. Um, oh, the political one. Well, we don't don't need to get too political here, but um, enlightened centrist is um, yeah, I'm using subreddit, yes, for um. That's like this.
0: that's that's what I am in regards to magic theory and discussion. I'm an enlightened centrist.
2: Yeah.
0: I think for the MCQ next weekend, I'm uh, like if I had to choose now, if I had to choose a deck now, I would. But um, I don't know. Like the the metagame develops in such a weird way, and plus also, I'm sure there's plenty of people who qualified like two months ago for this and then just forgot about Magic Arena or like stopped playing that they'll just be like, oh, I'll just play Scape Shift. I'll just play whatever won the most recent tournament. But, like, I guess Nexus mostly beats Scape Shift. So, yeah, I think Nexus, but maybe I'll have something different to say next weekend. Also, it's not 100% that I get to play it because my work schedule has changed, so hopefully I do get to play the tournament.
1: You can just do it while you're working just put it up on the projector and have it be uh, the class demonstration where they just read the magic cards as you play them on the screen.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess. They, I, they probably would be pretty like challenged by the words on the cards. So
2: yeah,
0: that's a good, good class activity.
2: Yeah, words like regisaur—that's a good word.
0: Yeah, they won't have a clue. I, I, I don't have a clue what regisaur means. So good luck to them.
2: <laughs> Presumably, it means like king,
1: king dinosaur, right? I
0: suppose. Yeah, I assume it's some kind of joke with Rex.
1: Yeah, um, like regicide is uh, like murdering a king, right? Or queen. Yeah. I don't know, maybe just king. I don't
0: know. Yeah, I think think murdering a monarch counts as regicide. Yeah, I mean I was being facetious. Well, I do I, I understand like where the word, the words register come from, but uh, just highlighting the fact
2: right. that it's a, just checking. made up word. It's okay. Yeah just, wouldn't just do like it Just right? like the rest of them. Yes. Yeah. Quite sure. Dinosaurs weren't real anyway,
0: sure. <laughs> Remains to be seen. They're just dragons.
2: They do move in herds. They
0: do move in herds.
2: That's true. All right. Well,
0: I think that's going to probably do it for this week, right? We don't have any particular news or shocking events to cover.
1: Nope. Uh, I agree. Play Nexus next
2: week in the MCQ.
0: Okay.
2: Yep. Yeah, you crush it. Yeah. Boom.
0: Hopefully. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week, then. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us. Skullcrackpodcast at gmail.com. Crack in Skullcrack is spelled C-R-A-I-C. Uh, If you want to get in touch with us on Twitter, you can tweet at us, at Skullcrack. And that is going to do it for us this week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.
2: See you guys. Bye-bye.
1: As I dubbed it yesterday in the last episode, "Can't Harry the Harrison," where uh, Al Harrison presides as the kind of the chaser or Egghead-esque genius quiz uh, quiz participant against, in this case, David Wolfe. So uh, we're we're just gonna have a little quiz like Al usually does, but now I'm the quiz master and the tables have turned.
2: Oh, tables have turned. Turn tables <laughs> like a disco. Yeah. So I I
1: hope you guys know your stuff on Irish republicanism. All right, so question question <laughs> one. I'm gonna give this to Al. Yes. Question okay. one. No quiz on Irish Republicanism would be complete without reference to the Easter Rising. Though historians will probably insist the two men most responsible for the Rising were Tom Clark and Sean McDermott, the people most oso- closely associated with it are two others who held the positions of President of the Provisional Government and Commandant of the Dublin Brigade. Name either of those two people.
2: Oh, is one of them, Roger Casement? Incorrect. I'll go, I'm going oh. to throw it over to wolf. Okay. Uh,
0: the Commandant was James Connolly, right?
1: Correct. Yeah. So you got that. And do you know who the president of the provisional government was?
0: Uh, Douglas Hyde.
1: It was Patrick Pierce. Okay. But uh, you get a point for that anyway. Question two. This is going to Wolf. Fifty years after the Easter Rising, unknown individuals who almost certainly had some connection to one of the organizations known as the IRA blew up a Dublin landmark commemorating what British hero? A very similar monument still stands elsewhere in the UK.
0: Uh. Hmm. Was it Nelson's column?
1: It was Nelson's column.
0: Damn it, I knew that
1: one. <laughs> commemorating who?
2: <laughs> uh, Admiral Nelson.
1: <laughs> yes, Horatio Nelson,
2: I'll give you that. Okay, question three. Do I get points if I do that one but didn't get to say it? Yeah, yeah you do. It's 2 uh, 1. No, two no you don't zero. That's, right. fair, that's fair question
1: three Al you should get this one if you remember you're leaving cert while we're on the topic oh, yes. shortly after the rising William Butler Yeats wrote a poem called Easter 1916 containing the line all changed changed utterly a blank blank is born Filling in the t- fill in the two missing words a terrible beauty was born very correct yes very correct saying for some reason just, just correct it is just correct <laughs> all right Wolf Sinn Féin, Ireland's most well-known Republican Party, initially did not have the establishment of a republic as its primary goal. Its founder, Arthur Griffith, rather took inspiration from the dual monarchy of what country? This question is ridiculously hard and I had no idea.
0: Uh, Sorry, what? I have to name a country.
1: Uh, Yeah, so Arthur Griffith took inspiration from what country when he initially thought that that Ireland would have a dual monarchy? Mm. When uh, when we were independent.
0: Okay, I'm gonna. Poof, I have no idea. Uh, Sweden. Incorrect. Al.
1: I think it's Canada. Is it? Incorrect. The answer is oh. Aust- Austria. Hungary is the answer. Mm. That it. It's very difficult. Okay, Alan. Question five. Ireland has had its share of rebellions that never quite got off the ground, from Robert Emmets in 1803, to the Young Irelander Rebellion of 1848, to the Fenian Rising of 1867. The last is more remembered not for the Rising itself, but for the subsequent rescue of two of its leaders from a police van in what English city? This led to the deaths of a policeman during the rescue, and three members of the Irish Re- Republican Brotherhood who were executed
2: for that killing. I feel like I know so much of the information that's missing for the question, well, the question, Itself. That question is actually about the, what town, of what British city? Yeah, what English
1: city uh, were the leaders of the Fenian Rising of 1867 uh, freed from an English police van in? Is it Liverpool? Is that was very close? It is Manchester. Oh shit! I didn't give. It oh, Wolf. sorry. No, the other. That, Wolf. Did you know that one, Wolf?
0: I didn't, but I definitely would have guessed Manchester
1: okay well (laughs) no you wouldn't you don't know that (laughs) all right i can't give you the point i'm afraid but if it comes down to a tiebreaker we'll we might reconsider all right question six wolf before he used his particular set of skills to rescue his perpetually kidnapped daughter (laughs) liam neeson played the title role in the neil jordan film michael collins what late british actor played opposite him in the role of friend and rival eamon de valera the two also appeared together as part of an ensemble cast in a much more popular Christmas-themed romantic comedy. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, Oh, shit. His name is actually... I know who it is, obviously, but his name is actually escaping me. Uh, uh, Oh, my God. Fucking Oh, you know it. The man. The man who is Snape. uh, Alan Rickman.
2: It is Alan Rickman, correct? You signed the treaty without my permission. Oh, terrible!
1: That's very good. That's very good, De Valera. I would say that's actually quite yeah. good. I'll give Al a point for that. So that's two,
2: two, two, two ah. Boom. Okay. Alan
1: Rickman. Yep. Al, question seven. These days, the IRA is perhaps most remembered for terrorist bombings in England from the 1970s through the 1990s. Some 100 years earlier, however, a dynamite campaign with similar aims was initiated by what Irish exile and member of the Irish-American organization Clan Nagale? His funeral in 1915 was a major event, reportedly attended by thousands, and was considered great publicity for the nationalist movement and the Irish volunteers in
2: general, or in
1: particular, sorry.
2: Oh, I, I have no idea. Um, yeah, this, I, is, this uh, is
1: also this I, is this and the um, the Austria Hungary were the two questions I did not get from this quiz. So, uh, Wolf, yeah. do you have a guess for this one?
0: I have absolutely no clue.
1: The answer is Jeremiah O'Donovan Rossa, who I have never heard of.
0: Oh, of course.
1: Ah, oh, J.D. Russell. God damn it! I've
0: been so stupid.
1: Okay, Wolf. Question eight: When Ireland separated itself from the United Kingdom, most of the province of Ulster was famously excluded. Three of its counties, however, did become part of the Republic of Ireland due to their large Catholic majorities. Name any one of these three counties. Donegal. Correct. And Al, I'll give you a bonus point if you can name the other two. Oh, dear
2: God. Um, oh, no. I'm going to barge up totally. Um, Cavan, is that all, sir? That is correct. So one more. Uh, is it a Tyrone Incorrect. It's Monaghan. Oh, no.
1: Monaghan. God. Yep. Unfortunate. Okay, so it's 4-2 to, to Wolf currently. All right, Al. Question nine: The existence of Northern Ireland as a separate entity from the rest of the island can trace its roots back to several people. One of whom would have had to have would have to have be prominent Unionist Edward Carson, who led the campaign against Home Rule in the early twentieth century. Prior to this, he made a name for himself as the barrister defending the Marquis of Queensbury in a libel trial brought by whom in 1895.
2: Oh, now I thought I thought you were going in one direction with that. Then sorry. So um, he. He defended... He against, defended... He fought against um, yeah. this sort of person. Yeah, the person uh, who
1: brought the libel trial against the Marcus of Queensbury. Oh, in I. In 1895.
2: Know, no, not Craig. Not Car- not Craig of Carson and Craig. Not Craig, no. I do not know. Uh, Wolf, do you know this?
0: Uh, I don't know, but I'm, I'm just going to blindly guess Oscar Wilde. That is correct. It is Oscar Wilde. What? No!
2: Damn
1: it! <laughs> Great guess. All right. Wolf. Question ten: During the War of Independence, the first person executed by the British was an 18-year-old who had taken part in a raid on an army truck in which three soldiers were killed. This young man was later the subject and title of a song, summed, summing up the incident with the refrain "Another martyr for old Ireland, another murder for the crown." Name the song. And I can give you an audio clip, but I'm going to have to put my headphones next to the uh, next to the um, microphone. So let's see if this works. Put the light. Yet deny... That's all you get.
0: Mm. So I have to name the song. Name the song. Mm. No, I think I have to pass. I have no idea.
2: Al, do you know this? I, I do not. It's fuck You?
0: No. The, the name
1: of the, the no. first person killed during the War of the Independence.
2: No, I don't know. No. Um,
1: um, the answer is Kevin Barry.
0: Hold on. That was the name of the song. It was
1: because. Yeah, yeah. I knew that's the name of the song.
0: I knew that it was Kevin Barry.
1: Yeah, this young man was later the subject and title of a song, summing up the incident. Damn it. Like, <laughs> Did you really know?
0: God damn it. It wrecked, Wolf. I didn't know that his name was the name of the song. My dad is named after him.
1: Well, your dad oh. will be ashamed of you right now, Wolf. That's all I can say. Yeah. That's terrible, sorry. <laughs> okay, Al, question 11. In 1882, Frederick Cavendish, the Chief Secretary for Ireland, and the Under Secretary Thomas Burke were killed by members of a group known as the Invincibles. In what area of Dublin? The Irish Grand Prix was held there for the three years it was run, and it was the site of a mass performed by Pope John Paul II on his visit in
2: 1979. At Phoenix Park. That is correct. Boom! Right.
1: Yeah, so, I got one. See that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's currently five three to Wolf, and this is the last question. So uh, still a chance. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll give this one. Uh, that's it. We'll 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 talk about a tiebreaker afterwards. I don't know if I have one. But uh, question twelve: Wolf the Birmingham Six were six Irish men convicted of bombing pubs in 1974, sentenced to life imprisonment. Their convictions were eventually overturned for insufficient evidence. What band released the controversial song "Streets of Sorrow" slash Birmingham Six in 1988, which insisted on their innocence while they languished in prison?
0: Hmm. Uh. <laughs> Pin Lizzie.
1: No, good guess though. Al, can you steal it for
2: redemption? Redemption? Is that all? Is that all I can do? Uh, all right. Well, oh, I have. I mean, I would I have. 19 so kind of band. Yep. Yeah.
1: Who were uh, releasing, you know, Republican songs
2: like angry music? Um, yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Like the Pogues. Correct. It is the Pogues. Oh yes! Get wrecked. Very good. Boop, so boop, that's, bam. that's five that's four. Lust you did yeah you did okay. yeah yeah it's okay oh um i
1: don't have a tiebreaker unfortunately so wolf is going to win that five four but
2: nice you need to tie for a tiebreaker yeah
1: yeah that's true yeah this would just be a yeah it would, it would be a travesty to be honest but uh just to blow my own horn a bit in this quiz i came 19th out of 323 323 people with my 10 out of 12 correct i was in the 94th percentile of uh, right answers and guessing how hard the questions were in order was the other uh, tiebreaker <laughs>
2: oh. I, I could do that one i think i'd be i'd be good at that <laughs> yeah it's a good site really check
1: it out uh, ch- check it out learnedleague.com for anyone interested in trivia it's a great yeah website.
2: got a got a sign for this you need to prove you get better yeah, it's great for that.
1: There's every day there's little mini quizzes on different topics, so I was just tickled to see one on Irish republicanism Republicanism
2: come up. <laughs> yeah. Very anyway, really good. Chucky e. Arlaw and all that. All right. <laughs> you can listen to Radcast. Yeah. Huntsablecast. cast.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye
2: bye. Bye. Bye.